In this summer, our theme has been trust. Uh, Trust specifically as it relates to the process in which a person is growing in faith. Our, Our expectation is that every one of us here has some faith which right now God is wanting to grow. And God meets us when we gather in his name. He's with us. He's with us right now. As surely as I speak, God is here so that you personally would grow, so that you would be able to trust him more than you have in the past. All summer long, we've been considering this particular theme, and and this Sunday is the very last uh, before we start something new in the fall. And this is what we'll consider together this morning. When you know where God is calling you, And as you move toward it in trust, there is something which stands between you and that call. What do you do? When you're walking on his path and there is some resistance, do you give up? Or will you keep going in trust, believing in God? Will you keep moving forward so that you experience the promises that he has for you personally? That is our theme this morning. We'll start with a statement of trust. A statement of faith that comes from the letter of Philippians. Listen to these words. This is Philippians 1 verse 6. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Those are the words of a man who has a conviction that God is at work among the people who received this, first of all, and also among you. Whether you know it or not, God right now is at work in you. Some of you know it well. Do you know it? Do some of you know that well? Help me out here. Yes, if you don't, he's at work right now. You're here because God is working at, you, at something good in you and for you. And this confidence here says, if God started it, God will finish it. And these were the words of a man who wrote to a group that faced serious resistance. Uh, This group of new believers in Philippi, they were in a city that was under the command of a kingdom that had no place for God in it, that had no love for Jesus whatsoever. It was a place where it was hard to have any faith at all. But when Paul looked at that community, he knew God had given them a good mission. And what, what he knew about God was that God doesn't start things, then give up on them. I'm really feeling it already. I am. I'm not sure why, but I am. Can I go with it? Listen to me. You are here because God started something good in your life. And and any person, anyone, any church, any community of people that does its best to trust God will always and every time find that the path of going with him is a difficult path. It is a narrow path. It is a steep path. And on your own, you do not have the strength required to keep on going. Do you know this? And and trust is the gift that God gives to us and will build in us when we choose to keep going anyway because we decide that this faith here is our faith that we will believe that God started something and therefore he's going to complete it. And all we're responsible for is each and every step of the way saying again, not I can do it, but he will do it. And all I need to do is to trust him. This summer, some of you who have been here all summer long have heard God himself encouraging you in your hearts 
to trust him more than you ever have before and to take concrete steps of faith. Is that true for some of you? If that happened for you, would you show the rest of the people in this room? It's even happened for me as I've preached. The promise for you is this promise, but here's another promise, and this comes from the Lord Jesus Christ who you are following, that the way is narrow and it's hard. And as soon as you try to walk in faith, there will be foes, there will be resistance to your forward progress. And the question for you will be, are you going to trust nonetheless? And that's not a question about what you feel. It's simply a question of whether you will continue to move forward on the path that God has set you on or not. And we're going to learn about the dynamics of trust this one last time through the story of a man named Caleb, who was someone who God had called. He knew what God had called him to. God had given him a promise, but between him and that promise, there was a foe that was far too strong for him. And so he had to choose whether to trust. And before we look at his story, I want you to turn your attention to yourself for a moment and be concrete here. Do you have any idea of something to which God is calling you personally? I bet you do. You may not know everything, but you know something. You let that come to mind. And you, you trust me now. For you to get to that will be hard. Uh, impossible on your own strength. But what we're going to learn when we consider the question of trust is, is that the journey isn't up to you. It's up to the one who calls you to trust him. And there are three questions that we're going to get some light for from Caleb's story. And I'm going to show you those questions up front. They're these questions. First of all, where does trust come from? If I'm going to have this thing, where does it come from? The second question is entirely practical. How does trust work? If I'm growing in trust, how specifically do I put it into action in life? And then finally, what does trust result in? If I will trust, what's the outcome I should expect? I saved that one for last in this message and for this summer because in a way, this theme all summer long, the trust, the process of faith, really should raise, raise the question for us, what should we expect as we learn to trust? And that's where we're going to end today. But we're going to start with the story of Caleb. And so if you have your own Bible and you'd like to follow along, find your way to the book of Numbers uh, toward the beginning of the Bible and find chapter 13. That's where we read the story of Caleb. The story is told uh, in the book of Numbers Exodus and Numbers, those two Old Testament books, they tell the story of God's freeing his people from oppression in Israel, excuse me, in Egypt. The Israelites are oppressed in Egypt under the tyranny of Pharaoh. God comes and miraculously delivers them through the courage of one man. Do you know his name? This is participation time, just to make sure you're staying with me. He is called... Moses, awesome. Moses is God's instrument of deliverance. The people are delivered into the wilderness. And there God gives them the law and gives them a promise. And one of those promises which God gives is there's going to be a land for you where you're going to settle and thrive, the promised land. The story of Caleb is told right on the border of accepting that promise as as the folks have been led right up to the boundary of Canaan. They're in the hill country of the Negev. They're there looking over the last bit of land between them and God's promise. And God tells Moses to give the people some instructions. And that's where we pick up the story of Caleb. Numbers 13, chapter 
Uh, chapter 13, verse 2 reads like this. This is what God said to Moses. Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each of their ancestral tribes, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. There's some instruction from God along with a promise from God. Send in spies. Pick one man from each of the ancestral tribes. Those would be the sons of Jacob. There are 12 spies who are gathered and they're sent into the land. That's the instruction. And did you notice the promise of God? That is the land I'm giving to the Israelites. Off they go. And the congregation of Israelites, they wait beside there encamping in the wilderness, waiting for these men to come back. Before they left, Moses told them, be bold and bring us back some sign of what you discover while you are there. Forty days pass, and then the spies return. And as soon as they're visible over the crest of the hill, there can be seen two men, and they're bringing some fruit back from that land. And it is a Cluster of grapes, only one cluster of grapes. And you think, why would they bring so, so, so little? It's so big that two men are carrying it on a pole between their soldiers, uh, their, their shoulders, a sign of how rich the land is. Can you imagine it? And as it gets close to lunchtime, I can imagine it. <laughs> they come with a report that begins with good news but doesn't end there. This is what they say. This is verse 27 in chapter 13. We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. A land that flows with milk and honey is a rich land, a land that has everything needed for a life of pleasure and goodness, a life where you can thrive and where it's sweet. That's how the news begins. It's not how the news ends. Look at verse 28. Yet, yet the people who live in the land are strong. And the towns are fortified and very large. This is the bad news. They know the promise that God has given to them, that that land is going to be theirs. But when the spies return, they say, the land is wonderful. It's, it's the kind of land you would imagine God would promise. But the resistance to that promise is too much for us. As soon as they report this, the mood amongst the Israelites goes from eager anticipation to sour resignation, and hopelessness. It, it takes almost no time. We, we can't make it. Uh, we know God told us to go there, but there's no way we'll succeed. Uh, the, the, the roadblocks before us, they're too much. We could never get over it. Some of them even start saying to one another, we should have never left Egypt. We should have just stayed there. You know, all, these, all, all this time I thought maybe it was a mistake. We should go back. It was so much better there. They had garlic and onions. And they did say that, by the way. That's true. That's in the Bible. And, and, and doesn't it show us how our stomachs can lead us in the wrong way? Uh, anybody else? Amen. Listen, the whole congregation knows God's promise, but when they see the resistance, they decide we should give up. Do you know what that's like? Can you be honest enough this morning to say, I kind of know what that's like? The truth about any person who believes in Jesus and has given her heart to Jesus, her, his heart to Jesus, is that as long as you try to follow him, you will find yourselves standing on the borders between God's promises and where you are, and you will be tempted to feel exactly like everyone there felt. But there was an exception in that group, and it was Caleb. He saw, he was a spy, he saw what it was like, but he did not share the hopelessness of all those other folks because in his mind, was trust. Did you notice I didn't say in his heart? 
Did you pick that up? That was on purpose. We think trust is a feeling that you either have or not. No. No, your feelings can always be helpful or harmful, but they don't have to determine what you do. And in this case, it was a decision that this man Caleb had made, which resulted in the opposite of what everyone else there was feeling, which was rather than resignation and hopelessness, hopefulness and confidence. He had the kind of faith that we started with, the kind of faith that said God started something good with us Israelites, and he is not going to give up. He won't, because when God starts something good, he finishes it. All we need to do is to choose to trust. You feel it? Can you tell I'm feeling it? I am. This is what Caleb says. It's It's in verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And listen now, he did not say that because he believed he was stronger than those enemies or that they were stronger than the enemies. He said it because this man had trust. He believed that though the resistance was strong, the God who'd made that promise was stronger. So he could say, no matter how strong they are, we will overcome it. And this is what faith looks like when facing a foe who is way too strong and, be- and standing there between you and God's call. And if you're going to follow Jesus, which you should, then you also will experience this exact same situation where it's up to you whether you're going to go on trusting or you're going to fold and give up like most wanted to do in that moment. And the question now, when we look at Caleb, the question now is, first of all, do you remember my first question? It is, where does trust come from? That's the first question for us to learn from as we consider this character, Caleb. I'm going to give you the answer right, right away. Trust like his is forged in the wilderness. Let that sink in for a moment. After walking with God through many difficult days, it doesn't come all at once like so many of the things that you are being sold all the time The things that people who are experts in marketing are being paid so much money to to put before you with some promise of well-being if only you'll give some money. No, no, no. Trust is forged in the wilderness. And we know that because before standing on this boundary and after leaving the oppression in Egypt, Caleb had to walk day after day after day through a wilderness that was really difficult to walk through. We, we hardly ever dwell on this. We talk about God freed the Israelites from Egypt and then they were in the promised land. Between those two events, there was a vast, expansive, day after day, night after night, wilderness. And try for a moment to imagine what that might have been like. Walking in that environment over and over, wondering when are we finally gonna get there? Do you know what that's like? Have you had that experience in life? Thank you. But listen now, here's here's what happened with Caleb. It's the only way he could end up where he was. Every step, every step, he made the decision again and again to trust. Without evidence, day after day after day, 
that things were going to turn out right. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been trust. But that's what he did. And listen now. You listen to me. You can do that too. No matter what. I, and, and here's where I really, I think deeply about the stories of some of you that I know well. You face massive foes. And before them, you're helpless. That's what it was for the Israelites. If you trust, you can go. Because God is trustworthy. Where does the trust come from? It comes from many days of walking in the wilderness and deciding to trust over and over again. Here, let's dwell on the wilderness for a bit. Is that okay? And I'm asking you because nobody likes to think about the wilderness that they have to walk through. But I want you to do that this morning so that God can grow you. Agreed? The wilderness, think about the wilderness. It's a place where you're vulnerable. There are animals the, the weather can change. There's hot days and freezing cold nights and you are unprotected in the wilderness as Caleb would have been night after night and day after day. But listen, every morning that Caleb woke up, he had a decision to make. Would he say to himself on that morning, the reason I have another day is because God chose to protect me yesterday. And that's why I'm here. His grace saw me through what I never could get through on my own. If you decide in the vulnerability of your own wilderness every morning to recall the truth that the reason you got another day is because God has preserved you and kept you safe thus far, then you know what will happen to you? Trust will grow in that wilderness. And you can do it, and you should. Do you see that? Here's another thing about the wilderness in the wilderness, you are completely free from distractions. Show of hands. Any of you in here avoid your problems through distracting yourself? Yes or no? We do it all the time, don't we? I get concerned about some fact in my life that's not as it's supposed to be, and I start to get anxious, and do you know what I do? I, I take my phone, and I look for a, a highlight reel of a tennis player on YouTube. Oh, it does the trick. Seriously, anybody else watch tennis like that? Carlos Alcaraz, six minutes and I'm fine. <laughs> in the wilderness, there's no distractions. In Egypt, Caleb and all the others, they had lots of things they were responsible for and lots of things to keep their eyes away from the way that their life wasn't what God had called their lives to be. But in the wilderness, as the sun's going down, there's nothing to distract you. Only your ears open to what's happening all around you. And in that place, then you can look at what's wrong in your life and not look away. And that's a requirement if you are gonna let God grow trust in you. That also happens. Here's a third thing about the wilderness. In the wilderness, you have to be completely in the now, in the present. It's one of the unique features of our minds and our memories that we can, we can remove ourselves from the present by dreaming about the good old days. Have you done that? Oh, it used to be so. When you're doing that, you know who can't do anything for you? God. Because God only operates in the now, in the present. When you're worried about the future and thinking about all those things down there that aren't right, that's not where God is. He's right here and in the wilderness. God is right there with you so that when you lie down and all you hear is the sound of the crickets or when you wake up and it's the bird song, the wind in your face and the twilight in the late evening, your heart can pay attention to what's happening right now and that's where God is speaking to you. And what God will say to you when you're free of distractions and when you know your vulnerability and when you're in the present is he'll say this, you are my daughter, you are my son. I know you, I claim you, trust me. 
And that's how Caleb ended up with trust. That's where, where trust comes from. It comes from the wilderness. So listen, before we go to the second question, if you are in the wilderness right now, and you've been tempted over and over again to just try to escape it, and you've been angry at God for the challenges that you face, would you consider this morning that maybe that desert is where God is going to build something in you that is absolutely necessary for you to be his disciple? Would you consider that? That's where trust comes from. Now, here's the second question. How does trust work? And this is a practical question, because, and I have to ask it because it's so easy to imagine that trust is something that happens now and then without ever considering what it looks like on the ground. In real life situations, how does faith actually make a difference? Caleb is helpful here too. I'm going to tell you how it works. You ready? Beside Caleb's vision of the foe that frightens everybody to death, he places his vision of the God, who is the God of the universe, and who cares about Caleb and you. And when he puts those two things side by side, this is how trust works. He decides to keep on looking at God and to believe. That's how trust works. He knows, he has no illusions about the might and the power of the citizens in that land that God promised to them. In fact, it's said that to them, we're like grasshoppers. That's how powerful they are. Maybe it was the grapes they ate. But he looks at that might and strength as you will look at the thing that keeps you from going forward and be terrified of it. But beside it, he places the power of God who gave him the command to go into that land. And so he's going to go with God. This confidence of his comes through something that he says after he quiets everybody and he tells them that they can go and get the land. It's in verse 9 of chapter 14, this one clause. Look at what Caleb says. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. If God is with us, then we don't need to fear that enemy. And that's how trust works. It looks squarely at the resistance and the weakness and owns all of that, but then imagines God's strength right there beside and knows that God is stronger. And with that confidence, Trust does what God says to do. That's how trust works. Now, someone right now is thinking, okay, I would do it if only I knew what God wanted me to do. Have you ever wished that you had a little more clarity about God's will for your life? I know that many people wonder about that. They, they, they've said it to me. If only I knew God's will for my life, then I would do it. But I just don't have the clarity that Caleb has here, so I can't take the steps forward like he did. You know, once I know God's will for my life, then I'll do it. That sounds okay, but there's a problem with it. Okay, and here's the problem. Your life, it's not one big thing. It's a million little things. And God's will for any one of those million little things right now for you is as plain as it needs to be for you to take a step in that one little thing. It's just that you've been tempted to imagine that you need to know everything before you can do anything. And that's not how trust works. Do you hear me? And I'm not getting emotional here. I think I swallowed one of my whiskers. <clears throat> when I... I want to be your teacher right now and tell you this. God's not going to say, this is my will for your life. He will tell you his will for that one thing that you know enough about right now to know what to do. And I know this, every one of you, you could put your finger on something. Not everything, but on something. 
Those of you who have a sincere and strong faith, you can do it. You're not there already. Those of you who aren't even sure you have faith, there is also something that even now as I speak, you wonder, maybe is it God speaking to me in this place? Can I tell you something? It definitely is God speaking to you because that's how God works. Right now, God is speaking to you. I'm speaking. I'm not the one who's speaking anything that really matters. God is speaking to you. And there is something right now that you know enough about to take the step of trust and to put it into action. And that's how trust works. Maybe for you, it is your anger problem. Let's imagine that's what it is for you. That you know that your anger has the best of you over and over again. And, and if there's a God who's gonna say something to you, he's gonna tell you how to move forward away from that anger because after all, it's spoiling your relationship with your wife or your friends or your family or your coworkers or yourself. And you know God right now is saying, it's time for you to move forward in that. And you know what? If you take that step forward, it is gonna be too much for you to do. You don't have the strength. But remember how trust works? All of the reasons you can't move forward away from your anger are on one side, and then the God who right now is telling you, it's time for you to move forward with that. The God who is saying to you, it's okay to admit you were wrong. Let it go. It's okay for you to forgive that person. You need forgiveness to release it. Whatever it is, you can put God beside your resistance, and, and God himself is telling you now, move forward away from this anger by whatever he's saying to you, and that Trust is gonna work when you hear him say that and, and you let his power be stronger than the resistance and take a step forward. That's what Caleb does. What, maybe it's not anger for you. you. You could fill it in. You could fill in that blank with whatever it is for you right now. Maybe for you it's this. What is God's will for that sin in my life that I feel guilty about when I'm hiding from everybody? Maybe that strikes a chord for you right now. Do you know enough about his will for you in that sin? It's gonna be hard, but... Whatever the resistance is, it's not as strong as God's power. That's how trust works. What is God's will for these feelings of resentment that I have for the person I'm sitting next to in church right now or who's not in the same service as me because I didn't want to see them in this church or that person at the church that I used to go to or that I work with? What is God's will for my money? That's a very significant question for a lot of people who live in the kind of affluence that we are drowning in compared to the rest of the world. And maybe it's none of these for you. Maybe it's this. What is God's will for this creativity that he's put in my life? I am so good at this thing. What's his will for me in this thing? What's God's will for me with this gift of hospitality that I have or this strength that I have. Maybe you hear me say that and you think, I don't have any strength. I'm so weak. I can't do anything for God. Ask God, what is your will for this weakness that I have, for this addiction that is mastering and ruining me? If you ask a specific question like that and then open your ears and trust that God is stronger than the resistance in moving forward toward his promises through that problem, then you will be on the verge of seeing how trust works in life. Can you envision it? Can, can you envision it? Okay, then the third question. And this one I've left for last, as I said, because it comes last in the story and last in this series. And it's the question, what does trust result in? What if I choose to trust? The outcome in Caleb's story, as he stands there on the boundary between where he is and the land that God has promised, it makes a very simple and powerful statement answering this question of ours, and it's this. Trust inherits God's 
promises. You hear that? While a failure to trust results in being cut out of God's promises. And the God who speaks to us now and every time we gather is eagerly waiting for every one of you to choose to trust him. And you might say, I have so little faith. It only has to be the size of a mustard seed, according to Jesus, and that's enough. God will not push you forcibly into his promises. He invites you, and if you trust, you will experience them. After the initial exchange between the spies and all of the Israelites there, when everybody says we can't possibly do it, in effect they're saying we will not trust God. After that exchange, God speaks to Moses and tells Moses directly, all of those who are not trusting me will not inherit my promises. They will not go into the promised land. They won't. On the other hand, those who believe, who accept God's power and presence by trusting, they will experience God's promises. Look at what happens. Here's what God says about the future for Caleb. This is chapter 14, verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me wholeheartedly, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Following God wholeheartedly means choosing to trust him, not feeling that you can, but rather choosing to believe and trust. And the outcome of that decision, the result of that choice is that you will inherit God's promises. Caleb and his descendants, they go into the land of milk and honey and there they dwell in the presence of God and they grow and they thrive and they know all of the blessings that come only with being in the power and presence of God. And the story in its own way, well, it's obvious that trusting is a prerequisite for experiencing that promise because if they didn't trust, why then they would never go into the land where those promises can be realized. But there's something more going on in this story than just what happened for Caleb, and that is it's a foreshadowing of the truth that you and I right now are set before. There's a boundary for you and me, and it's a boundary in the present of living today and forever in the experience of the promises that God has given in Jesus Christ. And here, you, you need to listen to me now. The promises of God are that anyone who chooses to entrust herself or himself into the hands of Jesus will receive the gift of eternal life. And that means the presence right now of a life in the kingdom where Jesus is the king. And that is a kingdom where the law and the rule of the land is love and self-giving and kindness and patience and generosity and gentleness and joy and self-control and faithfulness. Those are the laws of the land that you are going to inherit when you choose to believe and trust. That is the result of trusting. You may choose not to trust Jesus. And as long as you make that choice, you will be on the other side of that boundary. Now, end forever. Anyone who won't trust Jesus is a person who lives now and forever separate from him so that all of those promises will remain only promises and never realized. And so 
And this is why I left this for this morning at the end of this summer. And so you are bidden now by the Lord Jesus Christ to trust him. If you've trusted him in the past to once again come to that boundary and say, you are my Lord, I am your child, your servant. I accept that you adopt me in your grace. I let you take away all of my sin and make me into a new creation. I receive the liberation from oppression and the invitation into your kingdom. If you have never made that decision, and some of you never have, right now it is not me, but it is the Lord himself who is urging you, who is bidding you in your heart to believe in him for the first time, to trust in him, to give your heart to him. I still remember when I did that, I was 13 years old. And someone told me that that invitation was coming to me in that moment, that I was beloved by the Lord Jesus, and I would inherit these promises when I chose to trust him, and I chose. You are being invited, not by me, but by Jesus Christ right now. Do not harden your hearts, but open them to him and hand yourself over to him now. That would be the best step of trust that you could make or ever would make. Do it. Do that now. I'll pray now. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. God, for the one or for the two or for the many who this morning feel something new in their hearts, would you give them a supreme confidence that it is your invitation that they're feeling right now and your invitation as their Lord already and their Savior and their friend Invite them into your kingdom in this moment so that they would believe and surrender everything to you and so that they would know the newness of life that comes only when someone says, you are my Lord and I am your servant. Uh, For me and for all of us who have made that decision in the past, give us the freedom again to experience the joy of your salvation. Renew in us a right spirit, the spirit that we see in Caleb, that spirit that wholeheartedly says, I will trust. And then let us trust you now and an hour from now, this afternoon with our friends and our family, this evening and tomorrow morning when we wake up. Let that first thought tomorrow morning in our heads be, God preserved us yet another day through this wilderness. And help us remember that every challenge we face is an opportunity for more trust to grow. And then God in the million little steps that make up our lives, would you give us the wisdom to be attentive to the places where we're called to put trust into action since that's how trust works and always help us place our vision of you beside every threat to walking forward in confidence. Help us do this individually. But God Almighty, help Renaissance Church do that as your people all together so that we can receive the mission that you're giving us and become the people of your promise in this world now already so that you shine through Renaissance Church, your bright and indefeatable light in this present darkness. And then as you blaze through us, draw many to you through the mission that you've given our church. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. And dear brothers and sisters, would you add your voice to mine as we say together, amen, amen. God bless you, friends.